Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. I'm your host this week, David Gibney, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michelle Byrne. The Week at Work is part of Left Block, an alternative media and political education project. And you can support us, if you like, at patreon.com forward slash leftblock or go to our website, leftblock.ie. Um, we'll get straight into it, Michelle. You've been looking at a few stories there. We all know what the big news of the, the last three weeks have been, so uh, might as well get straight into it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very hard to even try to, to get your head around considering other news at this point. And to be honest, we have a responsibility to make sure that we are covering this and that we're talking about this and that everyone continues to talk about what's happening in um, Palestine. It's absolutely shocking. And I know every, there's, you know, that a lot of people are seeing a lot of the news in their social medias, or I'd like to hope so. Um, maybe I exist in an echo chamber, but I am seeing a lot of people actually being politicised by what's happening, learning a lot about the history um, and where this is all coming from for the first time, which is great. We're seeing like, you know, surge in numbers in the Irish-Palestinian solidarity campaign, people kind of becoming politicised um, and learning about it. So that that's good to hear. But at the same time, you know, the reality of what's actually happening on the ground in Palestine is absolutely shocking. Um. I actually was speaking to someone to Palestine in in the, in Gaza this week, and he was describing some of the conditions that you know we we're not even seeing being reported. You know, he was describing, Mohammed was describing how essentially like there's no there's no refugee camps. So where do people who've bought their homes where do they go? And he said at this point people are just looking after each other. The systems have all collapsed. Um, you know, there's forty people in his neighbor's house, uh, just sheltering there. Um, and with no connection to any sort of aid or support services to be able to support them. So like, there's stories like that that you know are getting lost. We're obviously seeing horrific imagery, horrific stories as it is. Um, and we're not even hearing the half of it. Um, you know, we're seeing the fishing boats being bombed. Um, to to starve. Um, people in Gaza. We're seeing today, we're seeing news breaking out about the Israel's heritage minister coming out and saying his proposal mm. is to just bomb, to nuclear bomb Gaza, get rid of yep. everyone. And he said, oh, well, they can go to Ireland or the deserts. And that's really interesting because obviously our solidarity and what we're doing here in Ireland is being heard very well by the hate mongers in um in the Israeli government, which is is, is on only a good thing. Um, but it's very interesting Um. I saw a comparison online actually saying it's it's almost like when, you know, uh, Cromwell said to Irish people to Heller Shaconacht, you know, uh, he's saying go to go to Ireland um, if, if you want, as if that's supposed to be a bad thing. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's seriously worrying. And I, I know uh, since then, like everything's happening a bit hard. Like kind of, he said the he said the quiet bit out loud, basically. And now the Israeli government are panicking, say, you know, and have suspended him, I believe. But this is happening in the shadow of the Israeli ambassador uh, to Ireland sitting in Fianna Falls, Ardesh, as mm. you have ministers in Israel saying this. Um, I don't know how anyone is supposed to stand over that we would have diplomatic ties at this point with Israel when we are now being targeted for our solidarity, both in those comments, but also in the fact that it can't be an accident that Irish citizens are not allowed out of the Gaza Strip in the same way that other international people are. Um, you know, you have on one hand um, Michal Martin condemning hostages, uh, Hamas taking hostages in uh, in Israel, but at the same time he's not condemning like the fact that Israel has held all the Palestinian host people hostage in an open air prison for how long? But also the fact now that they're ho holding the Irish citizenship 
over our heads as well for showing our solidarity. So I think that's extremely interesting. Um, and I know there's been a lot of talk about this, the um, Israeli ambassador to Ireland this week in particular, um, particular around Sinn Féin. There's been a lot of discussion around this, um, around their position, um, not actually representing what they have been saying for years. And Sinn Féin has been strong on calling for the uh, expelling the Israeli ambassador before um, and it was concerning to see them wait so long but although good to see them change their position of silence on this um, to actually come out and say that and I, they're obviously probably under pressure with their uh, links to their American supporters but actually I think they have a responsibility with the connections to the US that they have to actually get them to appeal to them to back their position to expel the Israeli ambassador and use that connection to to further the Palestinian cause. Um, and I do think it's it's worrying that I, we really only saw them come out publicly on this, you know, in mo- more recent times because of Leo's comments, I think, coming out and kind of softening his position on it. And then obviously there was public pressure too, but very worrying that it took that level of push for them to come out and say this. And I would worry if this is what this is taking for, for this particular topic around genocide in Palestine it took them to pull them to come out and release a public statement on it then I would worry about you know ongoing how that would how that kind of leadership would go um for for any kind of issue but when we're at the the utmost the worst thing imaginable happening and being kind of resistant to to that piece so um that's interesting but also I think you know the public support in Ireland is there and we're seeing today in the Sunday Indo that there has been polling done um, we're seeing. Um, I need to get the figures up here. Well, I, I've got one of the polls here. Um, which side in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict do you sympathise more with? Um, fifty-one percent of Irish people say uh, they support more with the Palestinian side. Twenty-nine mm. percent say both sides equally. Um, ten percent say they don't know, and ten percent say the Israeli side. And I do think. That's the source of the minister, the heritage minister coming out and the refusal uh, to let Irish people, well, uh, Palestinian people with Irish passports leave uh, Gaza, trapping them into a um, a genocide uh, situation. Like there's, if you can't get out of there, you've nowhere to go. And despite the fact that Israel keep telling people, you know, go south or, you know, get to uh, get to you know, refugee camps or whatever they're telling them. And then they bomb those places afterwards. It's very clear this is not accidental. Um, this is a deliberate attempt to ethnically cleanse a region. And mm. I think I, I do think the tide is turning internationally um, a little bit. Hopefully, anyway, the numbers of people that were out protesting in Washington yesterday is unprecedented. Um in England, we're seeing massive turnouts as well. Uh, and I, you know, just in terms of the way it's been laid out by the BBC and by some of the other commentators and media over there, that you know, rather than lead with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people turn out to protests, they're leading with um, 29 arrested at pro Palestine uh, rally. Uh, and oh, fireworks were used. Uh, 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 police were attacked with fireworks and stuff. Like the, they're, it's very clearly leading in terms of trying to put people off because the government over there, as well as Braverman, uh, calling them hate marches as opposed to, you know, marches in solidarity with whole families who've been butchered. And like some of the videos I saw this week, I've seen, you know, over the last three weeks, some horrific videos. But this week I've seen some of the worst videos I've ever 
seen in my life. And I know people, have, a lot of people have seen them and other people, a lot of people are turning away or don't want to see them. And I'm deliberately not tweeting or sharing some of the videos that I've seen of of, of the bodies and I don't want to get too graphic or descriptive about about what you're seeing in them. But, you know, I feel myself that there's an element that you have to force yourself to watch them to understand the depravity of the Israeli government in this scenario because they're seeing these videos too and they're choosing to go ahead with more strikes every single day. Um, I think I read a, a piece that one Palestinian is dying every 15 minutes at the moment from the, from the strikes. And, um, yeah, I, I won't. I won't get too much into it. That that's one of the polls. Fifty-one percent of the majority of the population support the Palestinian side. If you add in both sides equally, you know you're talking. Um, uh, what is it? Eighty percent of people. Only ten percent support Israel, and Israel are very clearly taking offence to that. Um, we've also seen in as part of the same polling from I think it's the um, Sunday Independent Sunday Independent Ireland Thinks poll. Uh, we saw the president and the criticism. Michael D. Higgins was receiving for taking a, a stop killing babies position. Like, I mean, ima- imagine having um, the audacity to come out and criticize the president on his request for peace. Like, you know, it, it, uh, people saying, oh, he's overstepped the mark and all that. He has not overstepped the mark. Nobody has been able to conclusively say on any point that he's overstepped the mark in this stuff. But, um, and what, what the ironic thing on this, on the president's, you know, comments and others. The majority of the people who are being overly critical of him are the people who would have claimed to be pro-life, you know, during the whole pro-life um, campaigns and all the rest of it. And you look at it and you're going, how how do they square this circle? That they're pro-life, but they're pro-bombing Gaza. Um, it's, it's incredible. But anyway, the, the, the poll again here, uh, 66% of people said that the president was fully entitled to say what he said. 22% of people said the president should not be expressing views related to foreign policy. Um, 10% said the president was wrong and should not be expressing views related to foreign policy. And 3% said not sure. So two thirds of the population absolutely support not just what the president said, but the president's ability to say it. Um, so it's uh, it's a, there's a couple of good polls around some of this stuff as well. Um but yeah, it's just been such a horrific week, to be honest. I, I, I we're lining up for this podcast, and it was hard to think of any other stories to cover. Um, I just, I just can't, can't wrap my head around how the world is still. I say the world; the vast majority of the world is okay on this. It's, it's Israel and the United States and the power that they have. Um, and I know what you're saying about you know it, Sinn Fein changing sides or change switching their position on this one at the last minute. Uh, I was up at the Derry rally last week. Um. And the Sinn Féin speaker was on after Sean Harkin from People Before Profit and a couple of other speakers. And he got absolutely booed off the stage. The pressure that they were under on the ground. And I'm pretty sure, you know, the dairy local grassroots of Sinn Féin and all the rest of it had a position on this already, but they weren't in a position to vocally advocate that. I saw Chris Hazard tweeting yesterday calling for the ex- expulsion of, uh, of the ambassador as well. So, but imagine you're in a scenario where the largest opposition party is calling for the expulsion of of, um, of the Israeli ambassador. And there she is sitting at a Fianna Fáil, Ardesh. Um, and you wonder why we have the policies that we do. I wonder, is she an actual Fianna Fáil member? I don't know. It's, uh, it's been a very frustrating one and how things are laid out. By the way, just on, on one other thing, because I was, uh, for my sins, you know, Irish Sunday Independent, reading through Eilish O'Hanlon's piece, 
um, which is the most whataboutery piece I've ever read in my entire life, right? Uh, even just looking at the headline, you don't really need to look too much into the story. But here, here's what she wrote on the second power, or second uh, column of that um, article. Many in Ireland have leapt at the chance to scream at Israel because doing so has awakened in their dormant fanatic hearts a love of terrorist violence which no ceasefire or peace in the North has ever blunted. Like, imagine being that person that thinks that Irish people, the hundreds of thousands of Irish people who've been marching the last couple of weeks to stop the massacres and the genocide and the ethnic cleansing and the apartheid and everything else that's going on in Gaza and in Palestine. Imagine thinking that the urge from Irish people to attend those protests was actually, we support terrorism. And that's what she's articulated in her piece today in the um, Sunday Independent. It's absolutely Oh, it's it's ridiculous stuff. Um, it's sickening stuff, to be honest. So, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Do you want to jump in on anything else there around this? Yeah, like there was a few things there that um, you mentioned, you know, around the children um, in this. And there was a video that came out um, yesterday and it was about how doctors in Gaza have now had to come up with a new uh, term, a new acronym um, that they've started to regularly use. Um, it's WCNSF. And essentially what it stands for is a child with no remaining family left. And I just think, you know, that the fact that they had to create a new medical term for that in the conditions just really kind of highlights how common this is going to be. Children without any remaining family. And we've obviously, obviously heard about the hundreds and hundreds of families already who have no relatives left and um, who've already been murdered and do not have any fam- family left at all um i just can't even fathom that you know it's just it's to me yeah it's very hard to get your head around and on the topic of doctors as well in this i read a horrific thing this morning where doctors in israel have released a joint statement um there's some conflicting information about whether it was 100 doctors who signed the letter or a thousand doctors but in either or it's still horrific where they have said that they don't believe that hospitals essentially are uh, in hospitals in Gaza are a place of sanctuary and that they should be uh, that they're ha- that they're all Hamas bases and that they shouldn't be considered a place of sanctuary and these are com- this is coming from doctors in mm. Israel they're so wrapped up in the propaganda the hate propaganda that they are now kind of throwing out the fact that they're in a position of supposed to be caring for people in medical settings in humanity all their humanity is gone it's just shocking shocking to to read that level but at the same time is that not a breach of the hippocratic oath i mean the hippocratic oath demands that they do no harm Um, and here they are calling for continued genocide of children like what do we have 4,000 dead children at this moment in time and all I can think of when I when I'm looking at these videos is you know you see one video of a dead child I saw one yesterday I'm not going to get into graphic details of it then you see videos or pictures of of dead children lined up and you you just think to yourself imagine multiplying that by 4,000 I know 4,000 families with children that have done absolutely nothing wrong other than to be born into a family that happened to live in the Gaza Strip with no capacity to leave the last 17 years. Yeah. And the world just goes, do you know what? This is all right. Blinken, Biden, Su- uh, Rishi Sunak, all of those guys, Macron, uh, all just looking at these videos and pictures and going, 
yeah, green light. We stand with Israel. And then, sorry about this. The, cle- the collective grief mm. that the people must be feeling is, you know, it, it, can't, it can't imagine. Can't imagine. And I think it's important as well. And like, it's extremely emotive, obviously, seeing all of those videos of children. But actually, it's, it's interesting. We, we, we always we say, you know, you know, like the, the children are extremely important, completely innocent in all of this. The child's innocent cannot be um, like, like it's just this whole kind of narrative that we're saying, you know, it's only the children that shouldn't, that don't deserve to die or the women and children. But actually we need to consider about the men mm-hmm. as well. And I think there has been an erasure or something a little bit in our own kind of like we're, in our own sympathies and how we feel about that. I think it's, it's important to also name that there are men, women and children, you know, um, being murdered who have uh, in this genocide. And I think that is important to name that as well, just Mm. so that it's not just like, Oh, the men over there are the ones, you know, who are connected to that, that that they're the problem. No, you know, we should be extending our thoughts with Mm. men, women and children um, in Gaza. I just think that's important to to note because I, I, I read something about it online about how, you know, um, Palestinian men are a bit invisible in this because we've been talking a lot about women and children when they're also, we need to remember them too in all of this. Absolutely, totally agree. Um, and I ha- I did notice that that was a big thing. I suppose the the focus that people have on children is when you when you're, um, it is more emotive and it it is more impactful and it it is more sickening. Um, you know, just on a human level that you, you know you see a dead man in one of the videos and you could uh, people could make the argument Israel would make the argument that that man happened to be a member of Hamas even if he wasn't because you can't trust anything the Israelis say, but you can't make that argument about an infant. You can't make that argument about, you know, other people. But um, yeah, but even- and I think in order not to allow Israel to use that argument of like, um, you know, a dead Palestinian man as Hamas or whatever, like to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. make them the enemy. I think it's important that we do name it. And of course, yeah, obviously children have such innocence. Um, It is hard to debate that. But I do think we need to not fall into the traps that, you know, will allow Israel to be like dehumanizing mm-hmm. um Palestinian men, you know. Yeah. Um the other the other thing that's really worrying about all of this, um, and I do think it's uh, the West in particular showing off its white supremacy, even if it's subliminal and they don't realize it. And I'm talking the media, politicians, a lot in our society, people we know, just the um the way that 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 it has not just been presented, but the the silencing. That's been happening in particular. We all know about the Paddy Cosgrave stuff that that happened here, um, and these big multinational corporations being able to shut that down for for simply saying, you know, we should call out war crimes whether they're allies or not. Like that is not a controversial statement to make, and I'm not defending Paddy Cosgrave on any level, or and never probably will. But to make that sort of a statement and have like even companies like Stripe. You know, owned by two Irish people, to to have them withdraw their support for Web Summit, or whatever. And I couldn't give a shit about Web Summit, but it's the silencing that worries me. Um, so that's happening. That has happened to people who have me a lot of means to withstand those types of uh, pressure. But like, you look at Wix, um, and how. Uh, I think the lady's name was Courtney Carey, who was sacked by Wix a couple of weeks ago for expressing support and, and solidarity with the 
Palestinians. And I went to the protest, not last Friday, Friday before, um, outside of Wicks, where they actually shut down the building uh, before we arrived. Um, and there was no staff there. They only had security. The Gardaí were there as well, as if some trouble was going to kick off. There was probably a hundred, couple of hundred people there at most at, at the high point of it. But nobody's really talking about this, that she posted on her personal social media pages and she was sacked for doing so. Now that, whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, that has a chill effect on other people to participate in democratic debates and discussions uh, where they can express themselves freely. And of course, we didn't see any of the whole free speech brigade turn up to protest at this. This was purely, you know, lefties turning up and saying, you know, you're allowed to call out genocide when you see it. You're allowed to call out apartheid and ethnic cleansing and all the rest of it when it's when it's happening. And in, in fact, in a truly democratic society, it would be an obligation on all of us to call out these things. And instead, they these companies can remove your means of producing an income for your family. That's what's very, very scary and very worrying about um, about this. And that's happening in Ireland, right, on a small scale where you have wicks. But in other countries all around the world, that's happening far more frequently and far more viciously because they don't have the public support that we do here. I was talking to people in the Australian trade union movement the other day about this. They had a meeting, uh, one of the uh, a new trade union group, um, trade union friends of Palestine, effectively over in Australia, which hasn't really happened over there. And um, when I worked in the Australian trade union movement, I was being trained in, and one of the officials uh, who was training me in actually said to me. Uh, we had a, a lovely long chat about Palestine. Now, this is 2010 um, and I was expressing my support and he says, I'm fully with you on that, but be careful in the Australian trade union movement talking to people about this because it's not universally accepted um, arguments that you're making there. So I was, I was a bit shocked by it, to be honest, but it's starting to turn the tide over there. But what I'm saying is in countries like Australia or America or whatever, voicing your opinion on this issue can be a career suicide. And we see that as well at football stadiums all across Britain, where we saw last week a Liverpool fan with a Palestinian hoodie being physically removed from the stadium. Um, now this, Liverpool is a left-wing city. Liverpool is a socialist city. This is the part, this is the um the club of Shankly and um like a, a proper out-and-out socialist. And it's always had that radical element to it. And they're now instructing fans not to bring Palestinian flags. We saw what happened in Celtic when Celtic fans were told not to bring flags. <laughs> Thousands of them brought um, Palestinian flags and waved them. Um, I, I'm hoping that today's match for Liverpool, where um, the Liverpool fans will all stick two fingers up to both the owners of their own club, who are Americans, um, and the FA. But what really fucking bugs me about this and really gets to me is this time... A year ago, year and a half ago with the Russia-Ukraine thing, not only were people flying the flags, the stadiums had the flags up. The stadiums were waving Ukrainian flags. The stadiums were having a minute silence for the Ukrainian victims before matches were kicking off. And now you can't even wear a hoodie that has a Palestinian flag on your back. That's mental. That, like the, the inequality... Uh, uh, that that uh, <laughs> that has to be called out there. What is the difference between a Ukrainian uh, child or, or or man, woman, or child who's been killed in a war that shouldn't be happening, and what is the difference between a Palestinian who's just been bombed by a nuclear armed 
country which has the second or third highest spending on uh, on military and they're targeting hospitals why can't i show support at a football match for those people but i can for the ukrainians what's the key difference between the two of them because the only thing i can see is skin color i can't see anything else that makes it that the FA and everybody else can look at, at at Ukrainians and go sympathy, minute silence, wear your fucking jerseys, where you do do what you can. Palestinians, mm, yeah, you can't. Wear it is color. It, it is color because look, our own government has identified that as well. We have a two tier system of immigration now, um, because you know people from Ukraine have a different uh, have a fast track visa, and the brown and black people do not. So mm. you know this is actually in practice that that's recognized and yeah. now people are doing it in how they police um the palestinian flag in comparison to the ukrainian flag and look i'm not one to be talking about football <laughs> but like it is, it is interesting to see everyone come out really strong on that and i think you know there's always conversations around oh you know like don't bring politics in this or whatever but actually it's all about where your community organizes and like as much as I'm not in the football community, I can recognize that there is football communities. And sometimes that's where people have their community. And it's important to be having these conversations in whatever communities you're in. You know, we're talking about trade unions here. We're talking about football clubs. But I, I make that call to everyone, you know, to organize where they stand on this, wherever their communities are to be talking about this. Um, and just to kind of just go back shortly to, to what you were saying about the, the Web Summit piece with Paddy Cosgrave. What's interesting now is I've read that some of the companies who had threatened and had withdrawn from Web Summit have now come back. So this is an example of big brands using their economic power within Web Summit to silence uh, Paddy Cosgrave on this. And then they've come crawling back, recognizing that, oh, yeah, we've used our power, we've flexed our power now, we've come back. So I think this kind of also shows you know, the power of what we could do um, as people who might not have the economic power in the same way, but still, nonetheless, we do have economic power in how we, what we buy. And, you know, there's been lots of calls for a boycott um, um, of Israeli goods. And I think we need to really hone in on that. And if we were all to collectively boycott those goods, we're already seeing shares drop across Puma, Starbucks, and um, a couple of the other ones that are kind of main ones, the, the boycotts, so, and McDonald's. So I would like encourage people to participate in that 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 boycott and it's also great to see as well um art, like as i say organize wherever your community is like artists have come out with the artist boycott and mm-hmm. um, you know that that's been ongoing for years but there's more artists actually speaking up and um, we've seen the jewish actress uh, miriam margoyles come out um, and say you know no one else is doing enough so i'm coming out and i'm saying this and you know very powerful coming from um her as a jewish um actress as well but also um we saw i saw macklemore come out mm-hmm. uh, he ended up attending a protest and ended up on stage i think very uh, unexpectedly um speaking to the crowd and really interesting enough how he framed it was like you know i can potentially uh, didn't really come out with the best of words at the start and I was told to go and do my research and he said I have done my research now and I've learned and I know what I was previously saying wasn't good enough and now what he's saying you know it's very strong and I think people come and he's he said he was told to stay silent uh, silent for the sake of his career and it goes back to you know that that weaponization of people's careers whatever that may be whether it's you know people with bigger um reach than others it's still important and um that he's come out and said that and you know all of these different people in different spaces whether it's footballers or artists they're all reaching new audiences across Ireland and US wherever I think that's really really important that we use all of our communities in that 
And interesting enough, what you're saying about the Wix worker um, and that piece around that, that um, you know, that chill effect it has when people are talking about um, when this has been set, you know, that chill effect, we see the Wix worker being sacked. We see Paddy, Cos- Paddy Cosgrave for his, for his tweet. Um, I have been speaking to a couple of people that I know who work in big US multinational companies who were shocked when they came into work. Uh, at the start of this and had messages in their Slack channels saying, you know, we support Israel, you know, sure. thinking of people in Israel and all of this um, fundraising for the Israeli military in the work group chats. And I'm talking about big pharma companies, big companies like Amazon um, saying things like this um, in, in group chats, in work chats. And then, you know, these are teams that have Palestinian workers on their team. They have like, you know, and it's very interesting to see then how do workers respond to that um, when they know that there's such power in a multinational like that. And again, you know, we often hear the term of often people are one paycheck away from homelessness and like the power that that has, that economic power that that has, that those, those um, employers have on their workers too, which is very um, concerning. And I think we need to um, be mindful of that too, you know, that this, is, this, is, this isn't just happening in a vacuum that one person spoke out. There's lots of work that's been done on the inside in, internally by employers um, to make sure that people aren't speaking up about this and that they know what they see as the correct position and that you, you can't go against. Yeah. And one of the other silencing things that's been happening and it happened to me during the week, actually, um, after the rally last week in Derry, I took a couple of videos and I put them up on TikTok Um and I didn't have a TikTok account beforehand. I just set it up for this this purpose, more or less. These are the I've got three videos up now: one from the Wix protest, two from the Derry protest, and um, one of the ones from the Derry protest, which opens up with Betty from the IPSC up there, um, calling out genocide, Joe Biden. But somebody must have made a complaint about it. Um, the t- TikTok notified me that it had been taken down. They were taking my um, video down for breaching their community standards right um so fine i appealed the system and it came back after i appealed and they said there's a strike now new strike added to your account you received a new strike because of a recent violation multiple strikes can cause your account to be suspended so they're threatening to withdraw my account for um for putting up pro-palestine uh videos now that's tiktok I don't understand why TikTok are doing that because the videos were on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and I didn't get any strikes or no, nothing there. Um, but anyway, they came back after the appeal and said, appeal not approved. We've reviewed your appeal and found that your video violates our community guidelines. Your video will not be restored. Now, despite that, the video is back up. I don't know how. I didn't do anything, but it's back up and it's got over 12,000 views on that one. Um but it like it had been flying. It was like set nine thousand views in a, a couple of hours, and then it it's just completely slowed down. So maybe this the algorithm just stopped it. You wanted it. Well, very interesting enough as well. Um, there's some fundraisers happening in Waterford. Um, artists are organising to to raise funds for people in Palestine, and there was a GoFundMe set up, and GoFundMe came back and was like oh, uh, we actually not sure if we can host this in the way that you want. It's under review. So for the last week or and a half it's been under review and like trying to figure out you know how, what exactly um to, how to get around that so you know it's saying due to recent developments within the region we're carefully reviewing fundraisers related to this crisis um to make sure they're um in line with laws and stuff like that so they're they're on, under review and uh, you need to be working with an official organization um in order to progress with this um so 
GoFundMe has not not been used like that, I don't think, before. Um, So this is another example of making things very difficult for people to show support um, with Palestinians. So that's another example of of another company. but also another thing that we haven't touched on as well was during the week, um, people might have seen the letter um, from Irish academics or academics mm. um, who have connections to Ireland. Um, over 600 plus were calling for um, universities in Ireland to suspend ties with Israeli institutions. And this is another example of like organize where your community is. Like academics have networks and like universities. So this is great to see. But also like the day that that letter was published, was the same day that the Al Hazir University was targeted mm. in Gaza, which now means there is no university left in Gaza. Mm. You know, just the like just seeing it on both sides. You know, we're we're calling for our universities to do more. Where now there's actually just not even know any universities left in Palestine. And at the same time, then just to talk about, you know, we're talking about silencing and all of that, but also what are we amplifying? Like RTE, what like have been doing very odd reporting around this um you know we're seeing um some israeli people being um interviewed but like it's you know I, someone commented like you're seeing people rollerblading around tel aviv um being interviewed and then we're comparing how you know the journalists in gaza are literally like stepping over people dead people on the ground and like you know, their, their colleagues. I mean, their it, colleagues, yeah. and yeah, watching their colleague, finding out that their colleagues have died live on TV as they're reporting, um, seeing like you know, just the just the contrast is mad, and also then to say that there isn't a lot of journalists left because they have been targeted, whether it's their mm. family or them individually, they are being targeted. I, I, there was a, there was a piece around how there was something like about 50, 60 journalists in Gaza and now there's only like 20 20 30 left like that the, the impact that has on reporting um, and actually getting the message out as well is extremely worrying and obviously they are being targeted which again yeah. I, I think this is actually almost meaningless to say but it is a war crime but like how many war crimes have been committed yeah. now at this point to point that out but then you have RTE not even covering the protests that are happening in Dublin at the weekend or yeah. any of the international ones that have been happening we're seeing hundreds of thousands of people in Indonesia and loads of other places where the streets in Berlin, where the streets are being covered with people. And where is the coverage of that? And as well, I'm seeing it on a local level too. In he- in Waterford, for the last four weeks, the Waterford local newspapers, neither of them, have reported on the protests that have been happening. One week we had three protests in Waterford mm-hmm. and none of them were being reported on. Not even one little collective article now this week they did but i think it was out of the fact that we've been i've been calling them out online but like where <laughs> is the reporting on this but where is the responsibility like this is local news you can't even say oh it's oh it's happening far away so we won't report on local news it's the biggest protest the war have seen in quite a while mm. like i feel like that's newsworthy for local news and i'm sure other people will see the same in other lo- local newspapers um but yeah it's just very worrying about mm. you know how our own media is buckling on this one clearly the, the the support of the Palestinian people, it, you know, it, it is there and uh, across Ireland. And I know, um, yeah. But Sorry, I, I, I I, yeah, no, I I think a lot of that is the different bubbles and the different circles that people operate in. And I I, I genuinely feel this like I operate in multiple bubbles <laughs> on purpose to give me a broader perspective of different things. <clears throat> I don't think that there's many journalists that do the same. I think. Donny Brook, um, the RT studios has its own bubble and you find that, you know, the news talk lads, they have their own little bubble and 
I, you know, we've been doing this podcast for three years. I'm working in the industry for 15 years. Um, I, like, I can see the perspectives that people take and how they align so closely with each other. This, this group thing that happens, um, not just in the media, in politics and everywhere else. You know, the fact that the, like the Israeli ambassador did not just turn up to the Fianna Fáil Ardesh just for the crack. Do you know what I mean? She's there to to influence people and to 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 express Israel's perspective on this. And sadly, a lot of politicians will fall for that uh, that stuff. But even like, there's I'm reading through Neve Horan's piece today in the Sunday Independent, where she interviewed the Palestinian amb- ambassador. And I don't, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a hatchet job or anything, but there's a whole section of it where she really, really pressed the the Palestinian ambassador um, on, uh, and, and the Palestinian ambassador's name is uh, Dr. Jelan Waba um, Abdel, Abdel Majid. I hope I've said, said that wrong, pro- right? Probably haven't. But she really pressed her on, would you classify Hamas as a terrorist organization? No, I don't classify any Palestinian faction as that. Why not? The Palestinian people have a right to resist um, and struggle for their freedom. And this right is protected by international. But why won't you classify them as terrorists? So it keeps going on and on. And next question is, I'm still trying to only only trying to understand your views. And the ambassador's laying out her, her position. Like nobody... And I know this has been said umpteen times on in social on social media. Nobody takes that line of questioning with the Israelis. Like if there is, if Hamas is a terrorist organization, right? And she, the ambassador here actually makes a very good point. She says, what is the definition? What is the internationally recognized definition of a terrorist organization? You show that to me, and we'll have a conversation about what Hamas is, because there is none. Apparently, I I, I wouldn't have been familiar with this argument before, but like, there's no question in my mind that if Hamas is a terrorist organization. Israel is a terrorist organization. Like I, I was looking during the week as well at who the United States considers terrorist states, and they have down on it like Iran and the usual. There's only four four states that I could find, but Cuba's down on it. Now, Cuba has never engaged in any level of terrorism against anyone on any in any country. Right? They've never gone overseas, invaded somebody or or done anything for the last 70, 75 years. Right? And they're down as terrorists. But Israel can breach international humanitarian law constantly, flagrantly, bomb hospitals, bomb schools, murder 4,000 children just in this conflict in the last four weeks. You go back through the decades and look at the amount of breaches that Israel has done. How are they not classified as a terrorist organization? There's nobody in the world that is committing the atrocities that Israel is committing right now. And not only are they not being classified as a terrorist organization, Israel is receiving billions in extra funding now from the West to continue this um, this this massacre, this genocide uh, from happening. But just I wanted to say something quickly because you mentioned boycotts. Um, there was a tweet, a very good tweet about a week ago that I, I retweeted Um about the the BDS movement and what they're calling for, and yes, I'm avoiding you know the usual stuff. Not that I I'd um, I'd frequent them too often, the likes of Starbucks or McDonald's or any other sort of stuff, right? But the tweet was about how we still need to focus on the seven big companies under BDS, which are Puma, Hewlett Packard, Siemens, SodaStream, AXA, the insurance company, Ahava, which is a cosmetics company, and Sabra, which is a, a hummus uh, company. And also then, so there's the seven big companies, they're the seven companies, and then all fruit and veg from um, from Israel. Not 
I'm not saying from the occupied territories, I'm saying from, from Israel itself as well. Um, so they're the, the ones to focus on. Now, if you want to go beyond that, fine. But I think it's really important that we focus all of our energies on those guys because they are the ones that are actually, uh, they are the seven that are being called for by the BDS campaign itself, but also like, you know, AXA, Siemens, these guys, they're actually participating in the oppression of um, Palestinians. They're not just profiting from it. They're actually, like Siemens, as far as I know, are running on Hewlett-Packard, are running some of the digital technologies that manage the border systems and stuff like that. So it's important that those seven companies do not buy anything from them and uh, and keep the BDS campaign going. Have you anything else on, on that one in particular? I feel like like talk about Palestine all day, but I think I think I have covered the bits I'd like to cover today anyway. Right, okay. Um well tell us what other stories have you been looking at then? So jarring changing into something else after all yeah. of talking about all of that. Um well there's been a couple of workers based ones. Um even if we continue to um talk about the international piece, um garment workers in Bangladesh um who make clothes for brands like Zara, H&M and Gap um, have all gone on strike. Um, so their minimum wage is $75 a month. And they've just, they've asked her, yeah, $75 a month. Um, and this is this is your high street fashion, um, what it looks like in the background. And they're asking for it to be kind of almost tripled to $208 a month. God forbid they actually live on $208 a month. Um, and the bosses have come back and have only offered $90. So... They're out in the streets. They've shut down 300 factories, um, which is great uh, to see that kind of worker power in action. So we'll have to watch that one closely. But um, great to see almost like it feels like a bit of a general strike there amongst garment workers in Bangladesh. Um, so fair play to them. Um, so a bit, bit of good news there and seeing the worker power there. Um, back home then, there was a piece around um, Intel workers. So Intel is the biggest employer in um, in Ireland. Um, and they did a survey amongst all of their workers and essentially it said that their trust in bosses drops, mm. um, you know, while many people consider quitting. One, I don't think, you know, they maybe should consider if they're they're not trusting their bosses, maybe they should all join a union and can talk about that in a collective way. Mm. Um, but interesting enough, what's not in the article, because, um, you know, they're just trying to see, I think they, were, they had... They had um, cut back on uh they'd ask people to take unpaid leave they were doing cutbacks and all of this and they have reversed some of that but yesterday i was at um, a unite youth housing forum um where we were talking about um you know work young workers been able to feed into unite's position uh, policy position on um you know how we respond a worker-led response to the housing crisis and something an example that was given actually in the, at the event was um that and actually casual at the event as well but there, there was a an example given at the event how intel workers and it probably contributes to some of the morale issues around what they're doing there to cut costs was they were they were laying people off at intel and then hiring filipino workers and um flying them over on lower kind of giving them the same wage but then housing them in houses um where the, that the intel directors own so essentially your employer owns your accommodation and we've seen similar to this like in Keelings and such and the kind of power that, that has over people. Um, but yeah, I'd imagine that has something to do with the morale as well when you're um, trying to cut costs in those ways, but also then profiting, charging 
the people the people who have come over to live in those homes making them live in those homes but also charging them for it mm. charging them for the bus uh, to to and from the workplace to those homes and then charging them rent something like 10 grand for a nine bed house or something like that um charging them rent to stay there as well while they're at it for the luxury so the money is staying within the organization um but just interesting enough that um that is happening but i wonder does that contribute to the workers trust yeah. in bosses and is that has that impacting um morale when they're firing um their colleagues uh, to try and get in um, cheaper labour because the laws around um, the workforce there have relaxed or something so they can bring people in. But yeah, that was just an interesting couple of uh, interesting worker stories that I'd um, been reading today. Well, I've got one here, um, which is the What Ireland Thinks polls again and an article by Jody Corcoran in the um, Sunday Independent. But uh, please indicate your approval, disapproval of the job of the following political leaders. And Michal Martin is the top one, surprisingly, at 45 percent, up two points. Um, Mary Lou McDonnell at 41 percent, uh, down one point. Holly Cairns at 41 percent also. And the Varadkar at 39 percent. You have to go on to the next page to see how Labour Party aim to and Green Party are doing. Labour on 31% with Ivana Bakic, Pader Tobin, 28%. But the aim and Ryan, the Green Party, is, is down as low as 22%. And that's up one. So that's how the leaders are faring. I always find that a little bit boring. Anyway, the, the leaders, and uh, you know, are, they, are you satisfied with them? I don't think it's a very reflective thing. But the state of the parties is interesting. Sinn Féin are down four points. Um to thirty one percent, Fine Gael are up to to twenty one percent, and Fianna Fáil are at eighteen percent. So this is all you know. It's again conversations happening in the media and elsewhere about, uh, and in particular, I saw at the Fianna Fáil Ardesh yesterday they were all talking about um, any future coalition between Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil and what the co- what the next government is going to look like. I think we're what fifteen months or so away from an election, fifteen or sixteen months. So. Um, vast majority of people that were interviewed by RT last night at the uh, Ardesh, um, old school members of Fianna Fáil were saying they can't, they would They would be, I think one of the quotes was, we, I would be very slow in walking into that process of a a, a government with, with Sinn Féin. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, what they're saying, what the headline of this article from Jody Corcoran says is budget boost for coalition, get ready for election 2024. So um, they are all preparing for it. They've got one, probably one more budget in them of tax cuts. But already, um, where is this article? I saw that there's, uh, yeah, I think it's in the Business Post. There's an article today saying there's a 19 billion shortfall in the state's capital budget is going to derail flagship projects. So while on the one hand, the government have got a a boost, uh, according to Jody Corcoran's article, from the budget because they gave so many tax cuts and people are happy about it. And well, apparently, I don't know if they are, but this is where the boost is, is being attributed to the budget. On the other side, 19 billion shortfall in state's capital budget to derail flagship projects. So the, the, the top um, picture and the headline of it is Metro North is among the projects potentially at risk due to the deficit in the capital budget. So this, uh, if people aren't familiar, Metro North um, the rail system that was supposed to be brought in, uh, well, it was announced in 2002, 2003, uh, scrapped by the Labour Party, as far as I remember, in 2011. Then uh, it was 
it was back on the agenda for 2022 or so. It back off the agenda because we didn't we went through austerity. Uh, it's just uh, they had predicted that it would be in Metro North for 2030. Would Metro North was to connect Dublin Airport with the city centre, along with a lot of the other major city or major towns on in North County Dublin, where there's no service, no public service um, transport at all, or very little. Um, and now it looks like it's going to be scrapped. But it's not just that. There's other ones. So Metro North, Dart, the National Road and Rail and Cycle Projects are all under threat due to a major inflationary pressures the government has warned. Um, there's a growing consensus that ministers will have to prior, prioritise some projects and shelve others unless the government decides to plug the expanding deficit. So fair play to the political system that we have where they keep giving tax cuts and then going, ah, we can't, we can't build infrastructure that was meant to happen 20 odd years ago, but is desperately needed to get take cars off the road so we can pre- protect the environment. And I come back to that comment someone made a couple of weeks ago about two two departments fighting with each other. You've got the Department of Transport here um, saying we don't have the money to build this type of thing and the Department of Environment saying, well, we need people to take, take cars off the roads. The government's not talking to each other. Like two departments are not talking to each other. We have no option but to bring in public transport if we want to you know, reduce emissions and all the rest of it and try and protect the planet. But instead, we're given tax cuts um, and people are still going to be driving to work in their cars for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and on that note, uh, there's also a story about how Leo Radker said, oh, we're going to scrap the idea of passenger uh, caps in Dublin Airport as well, just to add to them rowing back on any sort of uh, climate ambition at all. Yeah, I just on that one, because I, I looked at that one this morning as well. Uh, I think that's the front page of the business post, if I, if I remember right. But it, like they're saying, right, there's a limit of 32 million is the is the passenger limit. And they're saying in the article that, yeah, we want to increase that limit beyond the 32 million. And I suppose they're saying up to 37 million. That's all we need until 2030. And then we'll review it again. So basically, let's just not have a cap. Let's just say that there's an artificial cap every now and then, which is way beyond anything that we can possibly reach and then revise it every time. So that that's a, literally what the article is saying is that up until 2030, all we needed to go up to is 37 million anyway. Like So let's do that, increase the cap to 37 million. And then when we get to that point, we'll increase it beyond 37 million. So we just won't have a cap at all. It's, it, why are we even talking about a cap when we're not going to have a fucking limit on it? Like, oh, infuriating. Sorry, interrupted you. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, I, 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 I'd feel you had a few thoughts on it. Um, in another story that, uh, well, it's not a story because I don't think these kind of stories get reported. Um, but it was around an event that was happening um, this weekend in Kilkenny. So the European Conservatives uh, Party, um, essentially far-right uh, politicians, were holding an event in the Lyra Estate this weekend in, in Ireland, um, in Kilkenny. Um, and a number of people from La Cala, Diversity Not Division, um, went out and um, you know made sure to let them know that they weren't welcome. But there was a picket um, called for... Um, the Lyra estate to let them know like that who they were bringing over in advance and they didn't didn't move so just to kind of flag that but this is interesting because the topic of the conference was uh, a conservative future for European farmers so you're seeing here how the right wing is targeting the farming community and that conservative piece to try and bring them in but interesting enough um there was obviously a couple of uh, Irish politicians on the lineup uh just for good measure so we had 
TD Michael Collins from Cork. We had TD Matty McGrath from Tipperary. And we had Shocker. Senator Sharon Kogan from Meath. And I think all of those are independent. Um, and I think this is just kind of when we're talking about elections and, and that all of that. I think people need to be very, very careful about who they're voting for when they're voting independent. Sometimes there's an idea of like, oh, well, I'm voting, I'm anti-party, I'm voting against the establishment or whatever it is. But actually, I think people really need to be mindful about who they're doing their, ho- doing their homework. These TDs and Senator are aligning themselves with the European far right. That's where mm-hmm. they're positioning themselves when it comes to uh, farming policy, um, economic policy, um, and that's really, really concerning. And when people say, oh, well, Ireland doesn't have far right uh, politicians, you know, might, might want to start reconsidering th- those statements when you look at uh, peel back the independent sticker for a little bit and actually see how where people are aligning themselves. And interesting enough, another uh, name that people and also the a journalist from the Farmers Journal was represented at it as well. Um, and a couple of others, including Niall Boland, the, the new, from the Niall Boland show, but we kind of. He kind of exposed himself as being very on the right, but he was involved. Um, and the I'm trying to see now the there's a couple of others as well. Um, anyway, mm. from Ireland, so that's very very wor- worrying to see. Uh, yeah. you know that kind of that that presence happening. Um, in Ireland. Yeah, absolutely. F- fucking <laughs> human from that, from even hearing that they they had the cheek to come over here, but that these so called independents. Um. Uh, well, they're not so-called, and they are independents, but that, that, that's that's where they align themselves. I have an article here, down but not out, why Fianna Fáil remains bullish despite long decline. Um, so it's obviously a lot of focus in a lot of the papers this weekend has been about the Fianna Fáil Ardesh and all the rest of it. But uh, there's questions in this one about, you know, Michal Martin's leadership um, saying that the party is now united. Uh, and I'd say it probably is more, it seems more united than it has done in the past, which isn't necessarily a good thing. But like, what I wanted to comment on, man, is, is you have all the TDs walking towards the cameraman, like in what is clearly an embarrassing photo opportunity that that they use, right? I, I just, I don't, I can never get my head around this one. When someone comes out into the plinth, you have to have 15 TDs wrapped around you and on top of your, on top of each other. But this, this is Michal Martin walking at the front with all of his TDs walking behind as if they're about to go to war. Like it's, it's just pathetically embarrassing. Um, but there, it's it shows a chart in the article, um, Fianna Fáil performance in Red Sea polls since 2020, and like the decline has been significant. They've gone from just over 22, percent um, and they're down to what, about at one point they dropped to about nine, ten percent, and and they've gradually gone up, but they're still only at about 15, 16 percent. So it is still a concern, and that's the word that they used. And this is where I wanted to focus on the article a little bit, just just a slight observation about quotes. Um, so they're looking for comments. The, the 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 journalists are looking for comments on on how they're doing, and it says so. It is a concern for us, and I think much more needs to be done in terms of policy and separating ourselves out from Fine Gael. What I find really interesting about that comment in particular is they're not thinking about policies based on policies. They're thinking about policies that could separate them from Fine Gael. It's just a game to them. They don't care about housing or healthcare or education. They just get care about getting re-elected. And this is, a, you know, how do we create a, a pretend alternative to Fine Gael that will eat away at parties like Sinn Féin or any of the other independents or whatever? Like, 
I think it's really telling the words and, you know, more needs to be done in terms of policy and separating ourselves out from Fine Gael. Not we need to do more on housing and making sure people uh, can afford a home. Not we need to get rid of the healthcare, you know, crisis and the 900,000 people on waiting lists. It's how can we, this is the priority for them. How can we separate ourselves from Fine Gael? Um, there was another piece, another article there or quote from the same article, I think it was, about um, Dara O'Brien, the Minister for Housing, retains the confidence of his colleagues despite a challenging time in office. Um, Dara is seen as doing his best. We would all like more homes to be built, but at least we can uh, but we at least can be seen to be making a difference for first time buyers. Again, I find that really telling. We at least can be seen to be making a difference. No, we at least can make a difference. And there's a big difference there between it. They only want to be seen to be making a difference. They don't actually want to make the difference. Uh, so as long as they're pretending that, you know, first time buyers are doing well, we'll be attractive to young people. We don't care if people are actually getting homes and, you know, being removed from homeless lists. What we care about is being seen to be doing that. And I think that's been a fall for me. It's been a fall for the last hundred years for me. But that's that that article, actually, when you're looking, reading in between the lines about, oh, how do we separate ourselves from Fine Gael? But also, how can we be seen to be making a difference and not making a fucking difference ourselves? So that's, um, I don't know, have you got anything else there? Just on the housing piece, um, there's actually a story around um, traveller homes um, this week. I actually think it was uh, on Friday. Um, a high court ju- judge actually refused to give effect, essentially, to a... Um, an old order of Tipperary County Council were trying to evict um, mobile homes, caravans and animals from some lands there. Um, and the judge said that she couldn't actually stand over granting the order, the eviction order that was sought because it would it would disproportionately interfere with the rights of the people involved um, because Tipperary Council will not provide any traveller suitable accommodation. And it's named that if there is no traveler specific accommodation, then what are you, where are you evicting them to? What are you evicting them to? So I think it's actually um, a really good case to kind of follow because I think, you know, it's t- talking about housing policy again, what are they seen to be doing? Well, they're seen to be doing absolutely nothing for traveler people anyway, but at the same time to actually see the law actually say, no, you cannot evict uh, these people in, in, in home, in traveler homes because you've, you've provided no alternative. Um, so I think that's very interesting to see. Um, and then just as well, um, another piece was on um, the household media charge. So this idea of like the RTE piece um, in the the Irish Daily Mail, um, it was talking about how, you know, the Leo Varadkar wants the household media charge to replace the TV license fee. But it also mentions how that change would actually cost more um, and it would be, harder to introduce due to like public backlash against RT obviously in its current state but lots of scandals but also the idea probably that the last time something like this they tried to do this there was the threat of the water charges um response hanging over their head as well so interesting to hear that they're now admitting that this will cost us more um and people should be listening to that and you know getting ready to have that public backlash that he's expecting um but yeah look obviously we've said it here before but that it, that should be done on basis of what you can afford um not uh, a one size fits all um a cost for everyone um you know and true general taxation um yes. of some sort so um just to kind of flag that story as well because i think people should keep an eye on it but uh just to kind of maybe finish on something 
like a little bit it's not lighthearted but like a little bit different but essentially the guards are in a little bit of trouble um they uh essentially they put up this big statement this in the independence day they put the, up this big um embellished tale is what how they call it of how they were involved in a motorway birth and how they like uh, yeah essentially this is what so they basically said it was very embarrassing for the force because apparently it, it all came out that this was very very embellished um, and their guard involvement in the incident um of this mother uh, having birth take um you know birthing on the side of the motorway um and the guards being there um so i, I just think this is a very interesting example of like how the guards essentially use their communications uh to spread propaganda about how the what the guards role is actually in society and um, because it was just this week we've seen another illegal eviction overseen by the guards and it's almost a weekly occurrence now at this point um and then on the other side they're saying oh well look we we deliver babies on the side of you know on the motorway you know we're in your community you know we're protectors yeah. and all of this but they actually had to roll back and issue an apology it was that bad mm-hmm. so um i think that just says something um for the Garda comms team and what their role is and how they <laughs> like to big up. So maybe take that with a pinch of salt when you're seeing anything else the Garda's statements come out on and how they help society because perhaps it's all a little bit of embellishment. Um, but yeah, just one little bit out, out of the field there with that one. Yeah, my, my last one is going to be very quick on this one, but uh, there was a piece that tarnished that Michal Martin was on BBC Northern Ireland's The View and in it... Uh, the presenter Mark Carruthers um, pulled Michal Martin up on a tweet he had uh, put out how he was honoured, quote, honoured, uh, to be giving the oration at a ceremony commemorating the Renine ambush where six RIC officers were killed by the Mid-Clare Brigade of the IRA in 1920. Um, just to be clear, Carruthers, the uh, interviewer asked, are you saying that Mary Lou's IRA are the bad guys and your IRA are the good guys? Um and this is the quote from Shane Coleman, who has a piece about this in the Business Post today. He says, the normally unflappable Martin initially struggled to effectively respond. Somewhat unconvincingly, he then said that the 30-year war of Sinn Féin was a war against civilians on a consistent basis. Enniskillen, Bloody Sunday, they were bombing urban areas. Like, Bloody Sunday? <laughs> I think they might have got their... Uh, their, their atrocities were completely wrong on this one. But um, but the list goes on and on. He said, he said he later added that the War of Independence was a legitimate war and that the Irish state was entitled to commemorate and remember the lost lives in that war, but that in contrast to Sinn Féin and the Troubles, he would not triumphalise it. Now, I went on to Twitter uh, um, and found the, the, the comments by Michal Martin because I find it really interesting when I'm reading articles like this by... Shane Coleman, like, and I don't know Shane Coleman's background too well or anything, but I find it really interesting that people from the South can tell us, because Shane Coleman's article is, Troubles can never be described as a just war. But um, people from the South telling people in the North what can be a just war. Like, we're okay to have had our war uh, as the War of Independence and and to win freedom. And that's all fine. That was a legitimate war. Um, 2000, like, in fairness to him, it's relatively balanced on certain er- areas. He says more than 2,300 people were killed in Ireland between 1917 and the end of t- 1921. Over 3,500 people died in the Troubles. Like, for those victims, you know, which one is a just war? For us to be discussing that now is just, uh, it's a nonsense. We shouldn't be going anywhere near it. But, um, this stuff, the, like the the 
speaking out two sides of the mouth, commemorating the old IRA and not now is very and, and the, the provisional criticizing the provisional IRA is very interesting perspective that people seem to frequently have have co- comments on. But he goes through the historical analysis of the analysis of this from a de- democratic point of view. And he's saying that the in war of independence, this Shane Coleman now, had a legitimacy because they had a democratic mandate. And that because in 1918, the uh, elections, if uh, people remember, it was over over 63, 64% or so of the seats were returned to Sinn Féin. That gave them a democratic legitimacy. But they didn't have that during the, the Provo years, he's saying. And in fact, SDLP would have been. But the, the SDLP were part of a, a short-lived power-sharing executive. But the point I wanted to make on that is the six counties were carved up deliberately to not allow a Republican national majority. That's the difference between the all-island majority that Sinn Féin got and why the Brits partitioned where they partitioned in the six counties. They didn't include Donegal, Cavan and Monaghan because they wouldn't have had the majority that they ended up having. So to to use the democratic mandate as a legitimacy for 19. 18 to 1922, but then try and use that to batter what happened in the North is just, again, it's it's misrepresentation. So um, I, I'm done then. I think I've, that's all my stories. Um, Michelle, you seem to be done too. So look, we'll wrap it up on that. This has been The Week at Work. I've been your host, David Kivney, joined by my co-host, uh, Michelle uh, Bourne. And we are part of Left Block, an alternative media and political education project. You know the story. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash left block. If you want to support us, throw us a few quid. If you don't have a few quid, just share the podcast, tell people about it. Um, and uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing, talking to you all again next week.